0: Today's guest is a housing and community development professional with diverse multi-sector experience. Early in his career, he was in America VISTA for two years, which is where he launched an urban service experience series and led efforts to conduct a neighborhood risk and resource assessment. His interest in urban planning led him to the Heller School at Brandeis University, where he received his master's in public policy and then to work as a presidential management fellow at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. He led efforts in Massachusetts to implement HUD's Rental Assistance Demonstration Program, a program that allows expiring use multifamily properties to be preserved as long-term affordable housing. He also provided strategic support to state partners on high-level issues such as public housing governance reform and addressing veterans' homelessness statewide. He was a New Leaders' Council Fellow in 2010 and Director of the Boston Chapter from 2012 to 2014. This interview was recorded when he was Director of Policy at Massachusetts Department of Housing and Community Development. He recently became Assistant Director of Leased Housing and Rental Services at Rhode Island Housing. Please join me in welcoming Charlie Francis.
1: Great to be here with you, Robbie.
0: Uh, Charlie, I really appreciate you speaking with me from your office in Boston. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about your day today, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, I was wondering if you could share, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Sure. So a lot of people think that
1: leadership is having the best and most visionary ideas. And while that can be the case sometimes, um, that's really not what it means to me. <laughs> I say this all the time at work that there are a lot of great ideas out there already. The trick is getting buy-in for those ideas, mm-hmm. getting people online around those ideas and figuring out how to implement them. Um, really taking what's out there, sorting through it, and building a team around you to help get things done and actually make the change so I guess. I'm more of a COO type than a CEO type. But,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting I, distinction. I don't think I've um, really chatted with anyone who's shared uh, that distinction before. And, you know, from someone who's been working in nonprofit, I don't think I've ever thought through the difference there. Um, but it's a very different management style. When yeah. did you first come to realize you had that kind of leadership skill?
1: I think um, very early on, I, I would say... Definitely by college, if not sooner. Um, I'm somebody I think just by virtue of my personality. Whenever I join a group, I, I tend to end up running the group very quickly. <laughs> um, it, it's funny. I, I'm not as religious now, but for ex- the earliest example I can think of is when I became the uh, director of my college Christian Fellowship uh, during my sophomore year. Um, I thought, and you know, I can think of a lot of other examples. You know, in My early jobs where I was managing a lot of community projects or, you know, important projects at HUD even more recently where I didn't have any formal authority or people reporting to me, but um, people would still do what I needed them to do. And it was usually because I would take the time to build relationships with them and then take the good ideas that were being generated in the community um, through research um, and sort of packaging them. Turning them into action items and moving the process forward. It's wow, you just adding- described
0: leadership right there. I mean, this <laughs> idea of bringing people together, getting that buy-in, getting ideas from everybody—not just from people who you know you're reporting to or who report to you, but really from the community, from your colleagues—and turning those into action items. That's that is a special skill set uh, for sure. And it sounds like you've had a lot of time um, to try that out and to see where it works and um, and probably also seen some challenges, what is most enjoyable or rewarding about the kind of work that you've been able to do the last few years?
1: Um, I think there, it's just the fact that even though I'm still relatively young, um, I can get involved with people who have been doing a lot of thinking and work, you know, specifically in the housing field for a long time. And uh, really learn from them, but then help them to move their ideas forward. Kind of help to be the glue. So even though I might not be the big thinker, um, I can be the traffic cop, or <laughs> I can be, uh, you know, the glue and the connector. And I really enjoy that role. Um, you know, I really enjoyed that in my volunteer role running the New Leaders Council, which is a uh, professional a young progressive professional development training institute that we run here in Boston uh, once a year. And so that was really rewarding too because nobody gets paid. We're all volunteers and we're taking people from all different sectors of the community and um, helping them identify a certain progressive goal or change they want to make in the community and equipping them and networking them to help that happen. So the fact that I could have a skill set that would help people go off to all these different realms, whether it's politics or campaigns or nonprofits or community advocacy and help them be successful, having the skill set to magnify that impact has been, I think, the most rewarding.
0: That does sound really well. I I love how you put that, and I benefited quite a bit. I was a 2011 fellow, and um, I think it's where you and I first crossed paths. I appreciated Mm -hmm. your leadership back then. And uh, still with the chapter as well, and, and I'm now just uh, joined the board. So it's nice as an alum to be able to continue to give back. It's a great network and a national one as well. Over 40 chapters, right, uh, around the country. Yeah, yep, 44. yeah, 44. It's pretty impressive, particularly that the um, chapters are not just taking place in the bluest parts of states, but are really uh, all across the country. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. So you know, thinking about the work you've been doing, what has been a real challenge as you approach your work and And how did you overcome that challenge?
1: One that really sticks out to me is um, it's actually related to leadership. I always knew that I wanted to be a leader. Um, I knew that I had those natural abilities. But until recently, at least in my day job, I haven't been in a a formal position of authority. But – probably two or three years ago is, is right around where HUD launched the RAD program, the rental assistance demonstration. Um, and it's still fairly new. And even though, again, I wasn't somebody you know based in DC actually running that program. I, um, a lot of the activity, early activity was taking place in Massachusetts, but on the ground, there wasn't a lot of clarity on how to implement the program. Um, a lot of the details that would come up, Working with um, property owners and housing authorities um, hadn't been anticipated yet. So Mm -hmm. I was in the position where I was running a lot of these early deals on the ground, but got connected with some policymakers. So basically, it gave me the opportunity to give input to policymakers and help make the program policy and guidance and procedures in a lot of informal ways. And actually have a lot of influence. So basically by being an in, in an in the ground role in an early program, I sort of backed into leadership and overcame this real sort of morale challenge that I had, uh, where feeling like I wasn't important or I wasn't in an important role, it actually turned out to be very important.
0: You know, it's important uh, as leaders to recognize that the people who are making up uh, small cogs in a large organization often are critical and what they're doing, and to help them see their role as critical, and to help see their contributions as part of the larger picture. It sounds like you were able to figure that out on your own, once you realized that you were sort of that middle manager, which is a classic issue between uh, people who are working on the program and people above you who are working on policy. Um, But you, you started to really realize, like, this is an opportunity for you to have some informal influence, and both down and up, and share... Uh, what you were learning as you were learning it sounds like a quite it, quite a great opportunity, like you said, as well as a challenge to help on an internal level um, realize that you you have that input, you have that ability to have an impact.
1: Yeah, and um, the program just really needed it too uh, because it, it was a critical piece of HUD's agenda and still is, and it, it really needed that um, fleshing out. To be more successful, and a lot of the things we learned here um, ended up being replicated in you know other parts of the country.
0: And I imagine that the skills that you've learned doing that work now are applying pretty directly to what you're doing today in Massachusetts, um, focusing on the program that you're in now. Is there anything that was really transferable about that experience on the national level that is now when brought to, as you're doing this work on a state level?
1: Uh, several things. I mean, there's. First of all, just knowing how HUD, you know, the federal federal government, federal Department of Housing and Urban Development, knowing the ins and outs of how HUD works, what HUD's agenda is, knowing people there, you know, that's been very practical. But in terms of the skills, um, having a broad understanding of housing policy and granular program level details and how they interact, coming into a position where I need to coordinate internally in the department and basically make recommendations to my boss the undersecretary about what she should be doing Um, just taking that experience and my previous skills uh, coalescing people towards action has been really useful you know now I'm you know a, a, a senior staff member and I have people reporting to me but still the majority of the people in the department don't report to me you know the people who are you know program directors Mm -hmm. and i still need their buy-in i need to work with them to advance things i need to work with people in the secretary's office legislature um so i'm doing the same thing you know i have a little more authority now but i'm doing the same things process-wise i was several years ago
0: it sounds like a big piece of your success has charlie has been also building these relationships and maintaining relationships um when you were at hud and now um you know these these contacts and the people that you know and the experience they have, this is all part of what makes a program successful. And that's also a piece of the leadership that you've shown is the ability to sort of inspire people to work collaboratively. Is that, does that reflect back in, on your experience?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, it, it, the, the relationship part, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, my relationships with people... You know, in different housing agencies, consultants, developers, community organizers um, have really allowed me to be successful throughout over the years because everything runs on relationships. Sure. And, uh, oh, go ahead.
0: It's okay. I, I just was wondering, though, given that part of struggling for success. and being successful, which it sounds like you've definitely achieved in your career, there's always that fear of being wrong or making mistakes or even failing. So I was wondering if you could share a little something that you're not good at and, and how you deal with that. Sure.
1: Um, one thing is I I have a lot of project and program management experience, but not a lot of actual managing experience where i am people's boss Mm. overall i think people like working for me um and i'm able to get good work out of people but i'm just very new at identifying maybe where people need to improve where they don't have so many skills and making a plan for them to improve their performance that's something really really new for me um because i move very fast i i um and sometimes I, I just expect people to figure things out, but that's not the way things work in the real world. So <laughs> I'm, I'm learning how to just actually be a manager in the traditional sense of the word now.
0: It's so important, though, I think that in, in business and nonprofit and government, that a lot of times people who are really good at their jobs on like a, a frontline level, you know, good, good with programs, are now asked to step into a leadership role where they're managing people. And it is a very different skill set and one that, um, you know, good trainings are out there, but you have to really be open and willing and aware that you need those trainings and that peer support um, and mentor support as well. Uh, hopefully that you have in your time seen really good leadership in this way, because I think that's a, a piece of it is if you've seen good management and had good managers, then maybe you have a basis to start the, creating that same relationship with the people who report to you.
1: I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, I've had good, bad, and everywhere in between, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to draw on all those experiences.
0: <laughs> right. Sometimes <laughs> having bad managers maybe is even more informative um, <laughs> as to what you don't <laughs> uh, want to have replicate with the people you're working with. Uh, as you're, um, you've been building this business, uh, this this career, I should say, ab- about um, working in housing, and you have a lot of time uh, spent volunteering as well. You know, I imagine this takes a lot of time and, and literally in the workday as well as probably after hours, a lot of time and dedication. With all that in mind, what does self-care look like for you?
1: Oh, it's so important. Um, the number one thing is even when you're re- really busy and don't have a lot of free time, you still have to set boundaries. Um, you know, even if it's, I'm only, I'm not going to stay at the office until after 8 p.m. today because I know my brain just isn't going to work <laughs> and <laughs> I could be sitting there for hours. Um, you know, I'm a big, I'm an avid runner and always making time to do that because that's something that makes me happy. You know, pick, set boundaries for yourself and pick the two or three things that make you happy. Still make time to see your friends. Make time that, you know, if you have a, a, a romantic partner, you know, don't, don't forget them spend time just hanging out without an agenda. You know, my fiance is also a very successful driven person and we both have to remind each other of this constantly. But out of all that stuff, I think boundaries is the number one thing.
0: So, so do you think Charlie, that that this is something that you do or you aspire to do when you talk about setting boundaries and making time to go running and relax and such?
1: I think I do it pretty well. Um, And sometimes I feel a little guilty about it because anytime you're in a professional setting, especially at a higher level, you'll run into a lot of people that don't have as as many boundaries. You know, they might stay at the office till 10 or 11 and be working all weekend and not exercising or taking the time to eat healthy, you know. And you can fall into the trap where that seems like the norm. And -hmm. if you're not doing that, then you're not committed or not working as hard. I think that is a very, very dangerous idea. So, But I always have to remind myself that by setting boundaries, it feels a little selfish, but it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, take care of yourself and you can take care of others. They always say oxygen mask on you first, right? It's, it's true. Sort of the same same concept. So your professional network has really grown and transformed in the last you know, five plus years uh, between the career and as well as the work you've been doing with New Leaders' Council is there a way that you have in particular tried to keep in touch with that network or nurture it or be strategic about building new relationships what is What does professional networking look like for you?
1: The easiest way to do it is in your current job, everything you're doing should be helping you to get your next job uh, you know and the same thing could apply to volunteer gigs as well. Um, you know I have the job that I have now as a direct result of work that I was doing while I was at HUD, the people i met there. And, you know, going out for 20 or 30 cups of coffee, you know, <laughs> out of 20 coffee dates, you know, 17 are going to be a dead end, but you don't know which three are going to lead somewhere. And you can't be too outcomes focused. You got to cast a little bit of a wider net and just keep meeting people as a practice, but it's the best to do that say, like, if it's part of your job, you know, at conferences, you know, after hours, uh, it doesn't have to be this add on necessarily, because I find it's also very motivating to keep the next step in mind, Mm -hmm. and mesh that with relationship building, and then the networking kind of takes care of itself.
0: So how do you keep like, actually in touch with people? I imagine, like me, you meet a lot of really interesting people, maybe you don't have the opportunity to continue working with them. For instance, you're no longer in leadership with New Leaders Council, so all those amazing people that you worked with at the chapter level, um, you're now an alum, you don't have an official role, how do you make an, a conscious effort, do you make a conscious effort to build those relationships, to keep in touch, and do you have any any methods that have been particularly successful for you?
1: Well, you know, this is actually an area that I would like to grow in a little bit, um, so so that's one piece of it. but. When I am successful, it's it's kind of like it crosses my mind every now and again. Um, New Leaders Council, we're fortunate enough that we have a built-in mechanisms. We have regular events. You know, I still volunteer to help interview at events. You know, come to social things. So there are built-in ways to stay in touch with people. So that helps um, with sort of the more general networking sphere. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking for a mechanism where I can better building, staying in touch with people who I wouldn't happen to run across mm. otherwise. Um, so
0: that might be another way I could grow. <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the tools that I um, I've been using is contactually. That's uh, like contactually C O N T A C T U A L L Y. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so folks can check it out, but it's a really great management of uh, contact management software because you can put, uh, people in different buckets. So it could be your, um, so for me, for instance, it would be current clients, prospective clients, colleagues, which is people I've worked with. Um, uh, it could just be acquaintances that I've met that I want to keep a tab on. It could be close friends and family. And then I set for each bucket the amount of time that I would like to have minimum, minim, sorry, the maximum amount of time before I reach out to them again. And so I get a little reminder uh, when I open it to see, oh, you know, it's, it has been two months since I last checked in and that's when I wanted to check in again. So it's just a, uh, it's hard to keep track of people all the time. And sometimes the people that would be nice to just kind of say congratulations to reach out to see what they've been up to on social media or, you know, meet them for coffee, et cetera. It's uh, a way to keep them sort of top of mind now and again without it just being haphazard. So it's actually something I would definitely suggest. I'll send you the link as well when we're done here. But please do. That sounds useful. Yeah. I, I have to find new methods like this all the time. Partly why I keep asking (laughs) my guests Mm -hmm. because otherwise um, really amazing people kind of slip through. Uh, You meet them briefly, but they don't, um, you don't manage to find ways to stay in touch. So I do think that's an important part of building professional networks. Is there something that you would tell yourself if you were looking back uh, to when you were 25, first starting out in your career, uh, and you, you really were like, there's this one thing that you should really do, you'd be telling yourself, <laughs> if you were to build a really strong and supportive professional network. But what would that one thing be?
1: Find a few people that 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you think it would be so cool if I had this job or something similar. Hmm. And get to know them and or... The things that you would have to do, the intermediate steps you would need to take to get there. Maybe you should talk to them about that. Maybe you need to meet other people to get to them. But also have those people in different types of jobs and roles so you don't pigeonhole yourself too much. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wish I had sooner started looking out more ahead of time to see where I wanted to end up. Uh, that took a little while to come together for me. But if you keep that in mind and cast a broad net with your networking, you know, younger Charlie, I think you'd do great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you think you would have listened to yourself? Probably.
1: I like to think I would. Yeah. But...
0: like to think. Now, when you look back on your career, does it se- seem like it's uh, kind of a straight line or does it feel a little bit like you wandered early on and then found your way? I did wander a little bit early on, you know. I started you know, doing
1: AmeriCorps, which there was a housing component to what I did, but it wasn't the focus. You know, then I got into some housing related nonprofit work and then took a major detour into teaching Spanish for a year, mainly because I needed a job um, and did a couple other things. And also at the same time, got really interested in like prison reentry issues, um, workforce development. Uh, So my interests were really broadening. Then I went to grad school, but then honestly, coming back to housing, it started out with just a uh, there was an opportunity to have a postgraduate school fellowship at HUD, and so I was really just opportunistic about it. But since then, I've become so immersed in the housing world, and also it's really important to me that whatever work I'm doing solves you know some of the most pressing problems that we have. You know, where can I have the most impact and this is true in a lot of places across the country, but especially in our area, the greater Boston area, um, housing affordability is the, might be the biggest, if not one of the top five biggest social and economic problems that we have. So why would I not want to be working on this? Wow. Easily spend 10 careers doing this. Yeah. So it just, fits. it'll be a
0: while before you're out of a job, basically based on this being solved. It it would take quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like those early experiences, though, meant that you were really open, and you were also very mission-driven. So you wanted to work on a cause that you cared about, and it was as you got introduced to housing, it suddenly you know that became a career path, um, and an urban planning, and and just being part of a larger uh, struggle around around housing and um, access. So it's it's it it seems in retrospect it all makes sense, but I can imagine that along the way, did seem sort of uh, circuitous.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I never thought that I would be uh, working in government for so long. I you know, spent the first five years of my career mostly in very small grassroots-type nonprofit agencies. And that's a very different world. And it, it's funny. I, I think 25-year-old me would be really, not upset, but... Surprised to see that I've been in government for almost sixty years now
0: so is there um, for someone who's worked in only one sector it's hard to imagine then what another sector might be like, and there are i assume differences in in some way. Is there something that you feel you could name that would be different between working in the nonprofit sector and in government um, well, the nonprofit
1: sector again, I just worked mostly in small nonprofits, but it tends to be very nimble. Um, you know, it's super mission driven, uh, often in a, in a more grassroots type setting. I think the nonprofit sector even is so big that it's hard to generalize, but the types of nonprofits that I worked in small mission driven, um, you're focused on a community or a specific issue and you're really laser focused on a small subset of things or people, uh, In government, especially at higher levels of government, you know, there's a lot more bureaucracy, but the changes that you can make can be much more sweeping and macro level. So you don't get the immediate feedback loop, but you do get to do things on on a higher level. So it really kind of depends on what you're into and where your skills are.
0: And I see how having a background working more directly in community is just incredibly helpful as you're on a policy level trying to think about what would be the best for a community. So having, having that in your back pocket and as an experience, um, bring, you bring that to the table and it probably helps you think about as you're sitting there, you know, just working. I'm, you know, sort of how I experience running events for so many years and doing fundraising events. You know, I'm just staring at spreadsheets all day long, but no, mm-hmm. I'm actually... I have to remember, like I'm making a difference, I'm helping raising money for a really important mission, and having a connection back to that can help you when you're in you know meetings and writing reports. so I, I think it would be hard to
1: imagine not having at least some of that early experience because that's where I learned a lot about how these issues play out, and even more so, it's what made me care about them and made it not abstract.
0: That's great. You know. And you met some great people. I and mean, you really talked to, earlier about the professional network that you you sort of started to build in that time. And, and I'm sure that those professionals are now far flung across both uh, the sector you're in and the cross sectors. So mm-hmm. they remain people you can reach out to um, and help you be envisioning the, the future of solving this uh, housing crisis that we're all facing.
1: Well, once I get my new contact management software. yeah, That's
0: right. Oh better. Even better. <laughs> even better. Yeah, secretly, I'm just enticing each of my guests into um, being better at managing their contacts, it seems, Um, because everyone has a. it's hard. It's the best of intentions, but it's such an important part of building these relationships. You know, Charlie, I was wondering if we were to be meeting up a year from now and you were telling me what a amazing, great year it has been and what accomplishments uh, you've, you know, achieved, what what are we going to be celebrating if we were to look back at the year ahead?
1: Hmm. Well, other than the fact that I'm getting married, uh, one. <laughs> no, but on a, on a professional level, let's see, I would, uh, I would love to see that, you know, so I work on, you know, housing policy at the state level and we talk, I mean, in the Boston area and in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, um, just the supply of housing, both deeply affordable housing, you know, to the lowest income people, And to people who are, you know, not so low income, but the working poor and even pushing towards middle income, even those folks are struggling. Mm -hmm. In that lower to middle band, uh, there's almost nothing for for those folks. And we are looking at creative ways where we can generate resources for that, Uh, you know, whether it's direct state funding, public-private partnerships, um, you know, I'm not sure who it will be led by yet. But to find a way to generate the resources needed to solve this really pressing problem that is a huge economic competitiveness issue and also the fact that if middle-income people can't find housing, that's putting even more pressure on the lowest-income folks. Um, So we need to be doing it all at once. And I spend a lot of my time puzzling through how to crack this nut. So I hope that in a year from now we have something – at least some initial program or initiative, and even some early successes to show that we are doing something in that
0: area. Wow, that would be amazing. And I would look forward to having that conversation and celebrating those accomplishments. I hope they come to pass. I want to thank you again, Charlie, for joining me on uh, on the Schmooze for this interview. And I will, in the show notes, include contact information about how to find you on LinkedIn as well as the uh, organization you work for, just so that people are curious, they could learn more about the work that you're doing. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of the day.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Robbie. It's been great.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Charlie Francis. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Perhaps it was when Charlie was talking about how he was more effective at moving a project forward, even without formal authority, because he had taken the time to build relationships with coworkers and community members. If you've been nose to the grindstone lately and only focused on your own work bubble, maybe this week you could look up and see how you can help support those around you. This may take the form of joining committees, but may also be much more informal such as inviting a different colleague each week out for coffee to get to know them and find common interests. Try this out and let me know how it goes by writing a comment in the show notes. Charlie also talked about the challenge of being a manager and learning how to really support his team. In the show notes, I'm going to provide a link to the new one-minute manager. This is a really quick read that provides a lot of insight whether you're new to managing or have been in that role for many years. And lastly, Charlie and I talked about how difficult it can be to keep up with friends and colleagues, which is important when you want to maintain relationships with people you don't see every day. I recommended Contactually to Charlie and suggest you check it out as well. If you struggle to remember to reach out to your network when you don't need something from them, it's time you stopped wasting time networking. Contactually has helped me keep in touch with strong and weak ties. So I'm able to focus on building relationships and a stronger network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial, and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com forward slash invite forward slash schmooze for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze. That's S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E for more details. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of On the Schmooze. As I've just launched this podcast, I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Don't forget to include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be talking more about how to stop wasting time networking. Until then, have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze Podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.